Welcome to Rave Dad's Diary, the show that explores the globalization of electronic dance music from the perspective of a rural Alberta boy turned raver. I'm your host and resident rave dad, Paul Brooks. Rave Dad's Diary broadcasts on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary at the University of Calgary campus and community radio station located on Treaty 7 land. I acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Siksika, the Pagani, and Kaina First Nations, the Sutina First Nation, and the Stony Nakoda. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Hey, welcome to Rave Dad's Diary. Today's program is kind of a continuation of last week's discussion about psychedelics. Last week's guest was Philippe Lucas, PhD, and we were talking about the Canadian Psychedelic Survey. This week, I'm very excited to speak to one of my favorite journalists, Michelle Luke. Michelle has a substack called Rave New World, and the writing on it is excellent and exciting. I recommend you go check it out and become a subscriber. We're going to be talking about music and psychedelics because Michelle has been looking into this as well in her reporting. Stay tuned for my conversation with Michelle Luke from Rave New World. Up first, I have some new music to share with you from The Range. You know I'm a sucker for UK Garage. This brand new single from James hints at a follow-up to his last album, Potential, which came out in 2016. This is by Cameral.
Yo, everybody, this is Contra from the Sense Box Collective and Carta Madras. You are listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. FM CJSW. You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary. My name is Paul Brooks. And we just heard a new track out today by Maylee Todd called Infinite Program. Maylee Todd has a new album out on Stone's Throw Record. Um, Let me see. It's coming out March 4th. So stay tuned for that.
Here's another new track out today. This is a remix of a track from Montreal producer Priori. This is Oil, the DJ Python remix. Stay tuned. Coming up next is my conversation with Michelle Luke.
I'm excited to have one of my favorite journalists on the program today. Michelle Luke is a music and drugs journalist and the author of the stoner cult classic, Weed, Everything You Wanted to Know But Are Always Too Stoned to Ask. She writes an excellent Substack newsletter called Rave New World and sometimes throws a party called Weed Rave. Michelle, welcome to Rave Dad's Diary. Hi, Paul. So happy to be here. Very happy to see your face. I, I, I've wanted to have you as a guest on this program for a long time, and I have imagined this moment of like interviewing you. So it's actually happening, and it's really exciting for me. <laughs> I hope to live up to expectations. Oh, I hope so too. So today we're going to talk about psychedelic therapy, specifically music's role in uh, helping integrate psychedelic experiences and just talking about music and psychedelics in general, because it's such a, a fun topic. Uh, you recently wrote an article for The Guardian titled Countdown to Ecstasy, How Music is Being Used in Healing Psychedelic Trips. And you talk about uh, going to a live performance of, of John Hopkins uh, as John Hopkins is unveiling uh, his album, Music for Psychedelic Therapy. And I, I want to give a full, full disclosure that I worked on John Hopkins' campaign here in Canada with Domino Records. Um, so I got to know this record pretty intimately, but you actually have been able to see it performed live. So can you kind of tell me about what that experience was like and and bring me there for a moment yeah totally so the concert was held in austin it was a collaboration actually between john hopkins and another musician who makes a lot of um soundtracks for psychedelics as well named east forest and um basically they called it a ceremonial concert which i thought was very interesting just as a concept sort of break bringing in elements of like ritual and um, you know, ceremony into a recreational concert space. So that definitely piqued my interest. And, um, you know, it was held in a pretty typical concert hall, except that they arranged yoga mats to be in a circle around the stage. Um, so everyone was kind of sitting down or lying down during the concert. They opened with like some chanting and um, kind of proceeded into the sort of performance um, segments, which I thought, you know, were effective because unlike a traditional concert, because you're just laying there in the dark on your yoga mat and kind of hearing people walking around with chimes, or I think they had some incense going around, you really do kind of fall into this deeper state of listening. It's like not as distracting because you're not looking around and seeing what the person next to you is drinking or whatever. Mm. And um, I guess that's another interesting point to mention is that I didn't see a bar serving drinks. Maybe there was one, but so few people were drinking. It felt like sort of an interesting, you know, post-alcohol type of party, which is another line of inquiry that I'm always kind of interested in in my writing and rave culture, you know, moving on beyond alcohol into psychedelics and other forms of substances for for music 
Well, let's just talk about that for a minute then. Describe what Rave New World is for the uninitiated. <laughs> well, it's basically a newsletter on Substack where um, I kind of bring together all of my interests in drugs and music and nightlife, counterculture under one umbrella, sort of examining the ways that, you know, music and drugs are changing in the 21st century, you know, what we consider to be counterculture, I think, is really complicated right now because of drug legalization and sort of like the Silicon Valley takeover of psychedelics. Like, I think the question of like, what is counterculture today? Is doing drugs even inherently subversive anymore? You know, I think a lot of this sort of paradigms and um, ways of thinking about um you know, resistance or some kind of, um, yeah, some kind of resistance to um, dominant culture is really shifting because of all these political and cultural um, changes. So, you know, the newsletter is sort of like, um, I think of it as sort of like field notes from the front lines, because (laughs) I find myself really sometimes on the margins of things that I feel are about to break into the mainstream, but haven't quite yet. So it still feels very fringe. And I just find myself at absurd parties sometimes or absurd experiences and just want to kind of give a very direct and raw accounting of what I'm witnessing in California right now and all over the world too, a little bit. I, I like, I think a lot of people try to, to do that, but you're really good at doing it. Like the, the writing is, is really, I think it's really excellent. And um, I get a lot of value out of your newsletter because it shows me perspectives that I would never be introduced to, especially over, um, you know, in, in the region that I'm living in, things have been, lockdown pretty tight um and uh you've been out uh, definitely pushing some boundaries and uh exploring what's still going on out there so thank you for your reporting on the front lines um oh thank you <laughs> and and uh to anybody out there who wants to check out some amazing independent journalism uh rave new world you know if you if you give it a search it shows up and uh you can subscribe to your Substack. Thanks. Yeah, you know, I think there's real value right now in sort of underground media, especially when you're covering underground cultures. I think, you know, there's real value in sort of um, speaking to perhaps a more in the know audience, people who are already kind of open minded. I find a freedom in not having to explain myself (laughs) Uh, and just sort of assume that everyone is sort of you know, on board for psychedelic legalization. And that's the starting point. And then we can kind of get into like more interesting discussions of the nuances in that sort of m- movement. Well, let's bring it back to our niche conversation on psychedelics and music. I've seen some discourse about music for psychedelic therapy being a new genre or something that is being presented for the first time. But of course, this music and uh, pairing music for or pairing music with psychedelics uh, is, is something that is very old and owes itself to indigenous practices. I'm wondering if you can touch on some examples of music 
being paired with psychedelic use uh, through time and in different regions of the world. Yeah, so, you know, music has been really important to psychedelic therapy um, pretty much for as long as it's existed. You know, I think um, a lot of people by now have heard of ayahuasca. Um, During ayahuasca ceremonies, you know, the shaman typically sings these songs called Icaros that are... um, really important in guiding the trip of, of the user. And, you know, every shaman almost has a different style of, of singing and musical presentation. So, um, you know, you can choose a shaman specifically for like how much you connect with their music. Um, and then, you know, uh, in Mexico, they have some mushroom concerts in, in, I'm sorry, mushroom ceremonies <laughs> in, in the villages. Um, where, you know, the most famous Mexican curandera is called Maria Sabina, and she would um, chant these really beautiful songs that were almost like poetry, you know, the way that she sort of, like, sings as the voice of the mushroom. And then, you know, my favorite genre, I guess, of of psychedelic traditional music is um, the Ibogaine drumming in West Africa, which um, can go up to 150 BPM per minute, which to me, that's like basically techno. (laughs) And they go that quickly because, um, you know, the drug is a very strong stimulant, uh, meaning Ibogaine. And so, um, you know, they say that having those really high BPMs um, actually helps you to relax and um, focus your mind when you're feeling super stimulated, which again, like really reminds me of the feeling of going to a techno rave and having like really fast paced music just kind of obliterate you and you reach this level of Zen. Those are some really great examples. And um, yeah, I mean, it makes me think about uh, then um, I compare it and contrast it with some of my own self-experimentation um, in uh, dance clubs and, and at music festivals. Um, and uh, yeah, those, <laughs> the, the parallels between, uh, you know, modern, modern um, dance music and, and what you were just talking about. I mean, I think they're, I think they're pretty clear. Um, you know, you've been investigating modern approaches to music for psychedelic therapies is is there a consensus on uh, what is the the best music to listen to uh, when you're on psychedelics, or are there certain psychedelics uh, substances that uh, pair better with certain kinds of music, anecdotally or in any research uh, that you've come across? Well, I think that's the really interesting question that people are trying to figure out right now. You know, I think that. The simple answer is no, there is no consensus on what the best type of music is for psychedelics, but there are a lot of really interesting musicians and even companies trying to kind of figure out what that equation could look like. And I think like there is some standards that we can look at. For example, in the 70s, a bunch of researchers basically came up with a narrative sort of journey that describes the journey of a psychedelic experience, which is like onset, peak, climax, and then come down. And, you know, the the musical journey is supposed to sort of uh, 
lead you through that arc, which I think is really important. It's sort of the idea of music creating a sense of structure, a container, a sense of momentum to guide you through a very formless and sometimes chaotic experience. So that's what the music is doing. Um, and so for that reason, you know, people are finding that playlists of individual songs are often not as effective mm. because they kind of switch between so many different um, voices and moods that they can be a little bit like distracting. Um, so what's really interesting in my Guardian article, I guess, was talking about um, how the development of digital technology has allowed um, the creation of like long form mixes um, that don't have to fit onto like a single record or something. So you can have these like four hour long um continuous mixes that can last the exact stretch of time as a psychedelic trip so that's only something that was really possible quite recently and because of that there are all these music labels coming out that are kind of creating long-form ambient com compositions for psychedelic trips and then on the other hand <laughs> um you also have these sort of uh, more silicon valley companies that are working with um, AI technology to kind of quantify, you know, what are the exact timbres and pitches and rhythms going on in this track? How can we kind of match it to what this person is trying to get out of their experience? It starts getting extremely um, calculated and, mm -hmm. and, you know, data driven, which is also kind of interesting to kind of parse how that could work and if it actually does uh, have some kind of uh, dem demonstrable effect or if it's just sort of pseudoscience. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what is the, the app called? Are the waveform or wave path? Um, yeah, there's one called wave path. There's one called spirit tune. There's a bunch, you know, and, uh, some of these are using AI technology. And, um, I mean, in, in my personal experiences with AI and music, uh, I, you know, I'm, <laughs> it's, it's definitely getting there, but there's still kind of a synthetic, um, undertone to some of the music I find. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, the, the idea of AI being used in a musical experience to pair with psychedelics, I don't know, something about the notion kind of turns me off personally, but, uh, uh, yeah, like, how, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that actually a lot of the people who are working with AI even admitted that just using AI itself is not it because it does feel robotic and the technology is just not quite there yet. So what a lot of these companies do is actually work with human composers as like to create the starting material and that the AI kind of comes in to quantify and analyze and kind of augment that kind of composition. So there still has to be, I think, an element of like the human hand in there for it to have some kind of uh, emotional resonance. It kind of makes me think about the debate in some psychedelic circles about the difference between a lab-derived psychedelic and a psychedelic that is found in nature, 
But I think this question actually becomes interesting when we kind of bring it back to music, right? Like, is music for psychedelic therapy more effective when you have someone live, like in the room? (laughs) I think, you know, um, I've been hearing of some psychedelic clinics that are either on the verge of opening or already open where they are bringing in like live musicians to perform <laughs> while you're having wow. your trip, you know, which is sort of like how they do it in, in traditional ceremony. Right. Like you have someone there, you can actually feel the vibrations in your body. The person is responding to you in the room to your cues. And, um, you know, of course these sorts of experiences are extremely cost prohibitive. So mm-hmm. for the most part, no, not many people are going to be able to afford such a bespoke experience, but something about that actually does feel like maybe more true in that there probably to me seems like <laughs> a bit more of an advantage in having someone really there with you in the room. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, but, um, that would really take it up to the next level, uh, you know, which I think segues into um, the, the the privilege that individuals have to possess in 2022 <laughs> to even uh, access this sort of treatment. I'm concerned that the 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 the, the good things that are being uh, promoted about this therapy, you know, uh, it it could actually end up um, just being inaccessible to the people who need it the most. And uh, yeah, I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think you're right in that there's absolutely no doubt that psychedelics are being massively gentrified right now. And um, there's a lot of very sort of, you know, conglomerate energy coming into the space. Um, But I think that, you know, the underground is just going to keep growing. We've seen a sort of parallel story happen with cannabis, which I think is very interesting to kind of look at as a precedent for what's happening. Of course, what happened with cannabis is really different, but um what's really uh emerging about cannabis legalization especially in california right now is that it kind of backfired in that um because it was so cost prohibitive and difficult for a lot of marginalized folks to kind of enter the space and it got hoovered up by all of this sort of like you know big corporate energy um that the underground is now three times the size of the legal market. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that something very similar is going to happen with psychedelics because of just how cost prohibitive it is to pay for these types of therapies. You know, going to a ketamine clinic is already like five to $8,000 for a course of treatment. And, you know, the next psychedelic to be legalized is probably going to be MDMA and it's going to be even more expensive because you're going to need to have not one but two therapists in the room with you at all times so you can kind of crunch the numbers and already see how much money that's going to um that's going to cost and you know we're talking about sort of the consumer side of it but i think that you know in terms of providing these experiences as well i think um yeah, I'm definitely interested in seeing how um, the sort of 
narrative forms around um, who gets to kind of grow or, or, or create and produce these medicines as well. Michelle, what do you listen to when you're on psychedelics? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I prefer listening to music that's made by people who seem to have actually done psychedelics. <laughs> you know, I think there's real value in kind of understanding um, viscerally what that experience feels like and that musicians who um, actually use these substances have a bit of a leg up over like, you know, just using like a classical um playlist or something like that um so i've been really kind of turning to two labels in particular recently for my at-home trips one is called going in it's a sub label of um the bunker which is a new york techno label but for this sub label going in they actually focus on uh, music for internal journeys and it's all made by like really cool club producers and DJs. Um, they're actually doing a live stream really soon with a lot of really psychedelic music. So people should check that out. And then the other label is called, it's based in LA. It's called leaving records and they do a very interesting um, approach to ambient, so-called ambient music Um that's very experimental and very gentle. And they also do a lot of um, outdoor daytime parties in park in a park here in LA that also feels very psychedelic and shroomy. You know, it's not explicitly a shroom party, but I think that in terms of the, the vibe, the crowd, the sort of acceptance of being in this sort of loose, groovy space, it is a very shroomy experience. So those are the two labels I really like. <laughs> Amazing. Can you shout those labels out one more time? Leaving Records and Going In. I'm excited to check them out and uh, I'll find some music to add into the show. Cool. Michelle, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today about this topic. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad that we could have this opportunity to connect. Yes, thank you so much, Paul. It was a fun conversation. You're listening to Rave Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. My name is Paul Brooks, and that was my conversation with music and drugs journalist Michelle Luke. Check out Michelle across all social media platforms. Michelle's last name is L-H-O-O-Q. You'll find her in the bylines of stories in some of the biggest publications out there, but the real treasure is in Michelle's subscription-only substack called Rave New World. Go look it up and subscribe. We're going to finish off the show today with some music from Going In records uh i went and downloaded the latest offering uh going in number 13 by leisure muffin this is gonna play out for the rest of the program this is the track cistern on rave dad's diary
Hey, you're listening to CJSW 90.9 FM, broadcasting on Treaty 7 land.